Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, which is page number 553 in your pew Bible. And while you're turning there, the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson with Miss Elizabeth Twitty today. Today's sermon title uh, is what I'm also calling this sermon series. So this, today is the first sermon in a new series working through the book of Ecclesiastes. So uh, I finished back in the fall, um, I guess at the end of November, uh, um, preaching through new, the New Testament book of Ephesians. So now we're going to the Old Testament and looking at this, what is sometimes an enigmatic book. Ecclesiastes. This is one of those that sometimes you read and it kind of leaves you scratching your head. So I hope to be helpful in this series of sermons that, again, I've called it Joy at the End of the Tether. And I'll explain it. I'll explain in the course of the sermon why I'm calling it that. But I don't want to do that now because I want to get straight into the reading. A lot of times I will give context right here. But since this is the first sermon in a series, I need to give more context. So I'll do that after we read God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes now and enable us, I pray, to behold wonderful things from this, your word. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So by way of introduction, just a couple of things here. Uh, this book was written by Solomon, King Solomon, uh, as it says there in verse one, the son of David. He was also king of Israel. Now Solomon reigned in, as king in Israel about 1000 B.C. This would be referred to as the golden years of Israel's history. Solomon also wrote Proverbs, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And Ecclesiastes is in many ways like Proverbs. It is an effort um, to guide people toward Wisdom, And Solomon refers to himself here as the preacher. And that is because Ecclesiastes means a gathering or an assembly, assembling together 
Um, and so what we've got here is a gathering of thoughts or an assembling together of wisdom about ultimate meaning in life. Open, ultimate purpose in life. So what we have here in Ecclesiastes is not like what you see in the New Testament where you have letters to Christians. It's not a history, which is in large part, um, especially the first part of the Old Testament. It's not a recording of prophecies, which is most of the second half of the Old Testament. What this is, is this is wisdom, and it's in what we refer to as the wisdom literature section of the Bible. Along with the Psalms and Proverbs and, and Song of Songs. So again, this is a, it's a gathering of thoughts. It's a gathering of wisdom about ultimate meaning and purpose in life. So in that sense, it might seem, well, this is going to be abstract. <laughs> you just talk about the meaning of life. Or you might say, man, this is going to be really applicable because it's talking about the meaning of life. And it really is. Now, I confess that at first glance, when you read this and you read that section that we, we just finished reading, and it can seem very nihilistic, that it, it can seem like that there's just no meaning in life, there's no purpose in life, um, there's no ultimate purpose in any way. And it, it, again, at first glance, it might seem like what he's saying is something along the lines of man lives a meaningless life, dies is forgotten, and everything he's worked for is wasted by the next generation. Now, some commentaries will say that Solomon is, what he's doing here is contrasting two lives, a life under God and then a life without God. And that's, that's right in many ways. The way I want to say it, though, is that Ecclesiastes is old man Solomon's letter to his 18-year-old self. It's it's Solomon's uh, in his old in his old age, having repented of his sin, and he's and and he's writing in a sense a memoir. And you might think, well, what was his sin? What was the what was the big deal? Well, in short, he let slip his commitment to the Lord. He compromised his commitment to the Lord. He compromised his standards. He turned his back on God. But what I'm saying is that Ecclesiastes shows us that he came back around or he realized the errors of his ways toward the end of his life. You can see this sort of contrast with of, of Solomon um, in First Kings chapter eight and also just a few chapters later, First Kings chapter 11. You read you, you read the differences in Solomon here. So let me read that in First Kings eight. What Solomon's doing is he prays a prayer of dedication. He, he dedicates the temple to the Lord. And he essentially says in that prayer, you know, God, you're awesome, you're powerful, you're faithful, you're great, you're wonderful. And then he charges the people. And this is what he says to the people in verse 61. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands. So that's Solomon's prayer and charge to the people. But then in 1 Kings chapter 11, just a, you know, three chapters later, we read these words in verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women, women of Moab, Ammon, Edom, and Sidon, as well as Hittite women. These women were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, for surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Yet Solomon clung to these women in love. And then verse 4, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. 
and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. So he started strong, Solomon did. But then he went astray. He fell by the wayside. And I believe, again, that Ecclesiastes is, is his memoir. It's his memoir after his repentance. He essentially says at the end of the book, y'all, I've tried it all. <laughs> I've done it all. And here's my conclusion. And, of course, we'll get to it, Lord willing, eventually. But his conclusion is simply fear God and keep his commandments. Now, it'd be easy to you know, think, okay, that's just a grumpy old guy who, who, uh, who, who comes to that conclusion. Um, but I don't want you to think that he's just you know, this old guy telling us to do our duty. You know, be faithful to your duty. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Whether your heart's in it or not, doesn't matter. You do what's right. You do your duty. Just fear the Lord. No, I don't, I don't think he, it's that way at all. I'm going to try, strive during these sermons uh, to help you see that living in light of what Ecclesiastes teaches is the way to deep and sustained joy. So hopefully that kind of shocks you because you read that first this first section from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you're thinking, it's just saying vanity of vanities. Everything. It, how are you going to get joy out of that? Well, and Lord willing, in the coming weeks, we'll be able to, to see that. Anton, just a few weeks ago, preached a sermon. Um, and his sermon uh, had, from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it was really based on the verse there in Ecclesiastes 7, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And so again, you might be thinking, okay, how does getting joy from Ecclesiastes work with that? Again, that's what um, we'll be getting to. But even Anton said that that verse doesn't mean that we should walk around, as he joked, like a typical Russian. Just, you know, angry, head down, uh, un, you know, unexpressive, you know, and so forth. Even he joked about that. No, that's not what that means. It just means that we should live in light of the ultimate end in life, and that is that we all die. And, and that's the one thing that is certain, other than taxes, right? Uh, the, the one thing that is certain is that we will all die. And we, wisdom says we live in light of that. The way David Gibson says it in his book, Living Life Backwards, Ecclesiastes encourages us to take the one thing in the future that is certain, our death, and work backwards from that point into all the details and decisions and heartaches of our lives. And to think about them from the perspective of the end. So again, learning to live in light of what Ecclesiastes teaches is the pathway to deep and sustained joy. So again, that's why I've called the sermon series Joy at the End of the Tether, which is the title of Doug Wilson's commentary on this book. What that means when you think about something that's tethered, uh, it's limited. It's constrained. If you're tethered to something, you think about um, sometimes an animal will be tethered to a, a tree or some sort of anchor in the ground or something like that, which it means that that animal is confined, limited, constrained. And Ecclesiastes is teaching this about us, you and me. We are constrained. We are confined. We are limited. We're all going to die. What we do in this life won't have nearly the long-lasting impact that we thought. And what I want you to see is that that truth is liberating. It's freeing. 
That idea can make you lighthearted. It can make you laugh. It can lead to deep and sustained joy. So here's my bottom line summary of the message of the book. The key to joy is to reflect on the greatness of God and the smallness of man. The key to joy is to reflect on the greatness of God and the smallness of man. To remember the eternality, the power, the majesty, the glory of God, and then to accept your limitations. To accept your your tetheredness. And when you do these things, you'll be on the road to joy. I want you to think about it this way, and this is an illustration that some of you will have heard before. I want you to think about the tapestry on a loom. Now, a loom is a, is a wooden tool, wooden frame, basically, uh, to which you attach fabrics and yarns and cloths and thread and, and of different colors and things like this. And, so, and you make this gorgeous uh, work of art on this loom you know, with these different threads, sizes, shapes, textures, colors. And so you're going to create a piece of artwork. But when you hang that, when, when you get that, that work of art off of the loom and you frame it, um, you have to put it on the wall because you, you don't want to look at the back of it. The front of it is beautiful, but the back of it is mayhem. <laughs> it's total confusion. It makes no sense. Somewhere I read this about, about that. From the vantage point underneath or behind... Little is visible, talking about this tapestry, but snarls and knots. It's a mass of thread, fabric, or yarn confusion. It looks like a 47-car pileup on the interstate. Total mess. But above, or from the front, what's seen is the beautiful pattern of the work on the loom. Looking at it from above, it doesn't look like a 47-car pileup, but rather like an interstate intersection with lots of lanes of traffic, but it's organized and makes perfect sense and is a beautiful piece of art. And what Solomon shows us here is that we live our lives on the backside of the, the work, the, the, of the loom. Everything we see here is vanity. Everything we see here is is um, difficult to understand and it can appear meaningless until you step around and see things from God's point of view. Which again is why what's key to joy is to appreciate the greatness of God and the smallness of man. So Ecclesiastes, it really challenges us to think. It challenges you to contemplate, to consider, to analyze, to think deeply. Just a, just a quick glance at the book, it, it very well could lead you to nihilism and despair, cynicism, which makes you the kind of person to avoid at dinner parties. <laughs> First reading, you know, turns you into Debbie Downer. If, you, if you've seen any of the, the old Saturday Night Live videos, one that's clean and okay to see, the Debbie Downer videos. That's, you read, you, you, if, without... Without some understanding, Ecclesiastes at first glance will make you Debbie Downer. But Ecclesiastes challenges us to think, to contemplate, to understand. And what it teaches is that really, truly considering life can lead to 
deep joy. So again, joy at the end of the tether. We're limited, limited creatures. Quit fighting it. Accept it. Enjoy it. Now, with my remaining couple of minutes, let me give you two points. That's all introduction. So, but just a couple of quick points here. Number one, vanity defined. Vanity defined. Verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, the Hebrew word here is habel. And it's best, best translated, often translated, breath or, or breeze. Psalm 39, 5. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere habel or breath. Psalm 144, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Man is like a habel, a passing shadow. And Proverbs 31 Verse 30, a verse that probably you're familiar with, maybe. Charm is deceitful and beauty is Hebel. Vain. Here today, gone tomorrow. A breath. It's, it's vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So this idea of vanity, it's, it's, it's the idea of a puff of wind. Just a mist. A vapor. Uh, just a, a bit of smoke. It means short-lived. But not only short-lived, not ultimately satisfying. It lacks substance. It's without depth or weight or lasting significance. That's what vanity really means here. And we'll see this word throughout the book. Now, second point. Vanity lived. So number one is vanity defined. Vanity lived is my second point. And I want to give you three sub-points here. What we've, ways to think about this vanity. First of all, life is brief. Life is brief. Uh, again, verse 2 uses the word vanity five times. Five times the word shows up in this one single verse. Life really is a breath, a puff of smoke, just a, a passing breeze. And... Many of you have heard older people say it, that the older you get, the faster time flies by. And it's true. There's this country song from a few years ago. I don't know if it's still played at high school, uh, your children's graduations, but it's called Don't Blink. You know, it's one of those songs you play at high school graduation, all the moms cry and everything. And uh, it's called Don't Blink because it, it just goes by. You, you know, it's a story about how, they, you know, just the other day I was changing your diaper and then you're taking the swim lessons or whatever. I don't remember the song exactly. But then, you know, Don't Blink. Now you're graduating and so forth. And this, That's what you see here. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. It's so quick. I was just with some friends this last week at the beach, some friends with whom Lisa and I went to college. And we... We were just laughing as those memories are so vivid and it was 35 years ago. You know, I think about just how these and, and it's just it just doesn't last. Um, I played basketball in high school and 
Um, and I, I think that the, the basketball team had the highest profile in the school because there was only one gym, and so everybody went to the gym for, you know, assemblies of various kind and all this kind of stuff. And they had the list of names real big and of the, you know, guys' basketball team and the girls' basketball team. And I, when I was a freshman and sophomore before I was playing varsity, I was wanted so badly to have my name up there. And then it was there finally my junior year. And it was there for two years. And then it was gone. <laughs> Nobody knows who... Mike, because I was Mike in high school. Nobody knows who Mike Brock is at Wheeler High School anymore. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's a breath. Life is brief. But the word, the word vanity, it means more than just brief. It also means unsatisfying. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no satisfaction in life. There is lots of satisfaction in life. But there's never complete and utter total satisfaction on this side of heaven. You know, the, the feeling of satisfaction that we get from various things that we enjoy, it wears off. It's like a meal. You can stuff yourself at, you know, at noon, come 8 o'clock, you're hungry again. And that's the way it is with the things that we, that we have in this life. Verse 3, what does man gain by all, all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Verses 7 and 8, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I saw uh, an article after the, the day after Georgia won the national championship in football this year. So I guess the article was January 2, or no, whatever it was, January 10, whatever it was. The day after Georgia won that national championship. And, and, and I read the article, and at this point, at some point in the article, these were the words. Smart, talking about Kirby Smart, the coach over there. Smart didn't want to talk about a three-peat, but he did talk about the biggest challenge going into the 2023 season. And then he talks a little bit about the challenge. I mean, the confetti is still falling from the sky, and they're already talking about next year. Are you going to be able to do it again next year? Because it doesn't satisfy. Life is brief. And life is unsatisfying. Again, doesn't mean that there's not satisfaction of life. It's just short-lived. It's like a puff of smoke. And then third and finally, life is repetitive. Life is repetitive. Or you could say cyclical. A generation goes, it says in verse 4, and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around the wind and uh, goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. I mean, we often will quote that. We'll say there's nothing new under the sun. Of course, then you look at your smartphone, and you think, well, what about this? This is kind of new, isn't it? I don't believe what the preacher is saying here. What Solomon's saying is that there aren't new things like uh, you know, iPhones and color TV and, and brain surgery. But there's nothing new in the sense there's nothing we can discover to break this cycle of repetitiveness. David Gibson writes, A new government is still a government. And we're all familiar with those. A revolution heralds a new era, but it eventually becomes the establishment. A new baby is still a baby. And the world has always been full of new babies. 
Even landing on the moon is still a form of, an, of adventure and exploration that has been with us since humans have walked the earth. When we conquer our solar system, humanity will then try to conquer the galaxy beyond it. That's, that's what it means. There's nothing new under the sun. You wash the dishes today, you're washing them again tomorrow. You changed the oil in your car three months ago, you're going to have to change it again today. Your, your grandparents, they, they lived, they worked, they raised children, they died, and now you're living, working, raising children, and you'll die too. Uh, uh, last summer uh, at the General Assembly, which is our yearly gathering of uh, Presbyterian Church in America churches, representatives attend this thing and you vote on stuff. And uh, So I was on this one particular committee and two moder former moderators, which is really a, a very prestigious honor in the PCA to be elected moderator. And so these two former moderators were sitting right in front of me in this committee. And you know what? Those guys who, who were greatly honored, rightly so, and did a good job when, with their work and all, there they were having to stand in line just like everybody else. Just normal guys. They, they had returned to regular guy status because their time as a moderator was, was brief. It was short-lived. And they had asked permission to speak just like everybody else. The reality is that this is true for all of us. That's part of the application. I mean, some people would say, again, that Ecclesiastes is contrasting a life under God with a life without God. And there's certainly some truth that, to that. But I don't believe that that's the main point. I believe what Solomon describes here, it's true for all people. It's not just that Christian, or that, it's not that non-Christians um, experience life to be unsatisfactory and, and, and brief uh, and repetitive. No, we experience that too as Christians. As Christians, life is short. As Christians, even life is uh, uh, not ultimately satisfying. Even as Christians, um, life is repetitive because everyone dies. All of our experiences of satisfaction, it wears off. And being Christian doesn't stop it from being true. And this, this first section of Ecclesiastes is, again, I think it's an effort to really kind of smack us in the face with these truths that life is short, unsatisfying, and repetitive. But y'all, wisdom accepts this. Godliness understands this. As Wilson says it, a wise believer is one who knows the length of his tether. We understand our limitations. Most of us in our lives, we spend way too much time trying to escape the constraints of our limitations. We try to, we're trying to escape the constraints of our creatureliness. Opening our eyes to our constraints will, leave, will lead to a significant breakthrough for us. That, that's what I'm hoping to convey both this morning and in coming weeks to enjoy our humanity with all of its limitations is liberating it's freeing and it leads to joy to, to be a to be human is to be a creature and to be a creature is to be finite to be finite is uh, to be not God we're not in control we will not live forever. And y'all, there's just great freedom and joy in remembering that. 
Let me, let me put it this way. These first few, few verses of Ecclesiastes teach us that all the frenzied activities of this life are about as long-lasting and meaningful as the halftime show at the Super Bowl. But wisdom teaches that you can be there and enjoy it and laugh at it and mourn it all at the same time. And in this sense, having Ecclesiastes shape our, our thinking, it leads us to being broader, deeper, richer, more textured, more profound individuals as we live our lives. While at the same time, being less anxious, more lighthearted, and more joyful. I saw a, a, a Jerry Seinfeld, just probably about 60 second, maybe not even that long, clip of one of his um, comic routines here just recently. And he said these word, words. He was talking about how we, we buy stuff and then we throw it away. He said, all things on earth only exist in different stages of becoming garbage. <laughs> you know, you buy something, it hangs out in your house for a little while and then you put it in the trash. Kind of, you know, he's like, hey, yeah, that's, that's kind of true. And I think that Ecclesiastes teaches us that there's much truth in that. So relax and enjoy the ride. Enjoy the life that God gives us as his creatures. Remembering his greatness and our smallness. Let us pray. And I want to say this just before I pray. Um, you know, Christianity is about life-changing faith. It is about forgiveness of sins. It is about being assured of eternal life with God. And if you're honest today and say, you know what, I lack those things, let me know. I'd love to chat with you after the service. Heavenly Father, please enable us all to appreciate being tethered, being creatures under your sovereign control. And help us to learn, therefore, to enjoy it and give you thanks. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing as this hymn of response, Whatever my God ordains is right.
And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.